Well, before I get started this morning, I want to remind uh, everybody, next week is an important um, Sunday. Well, all Sundays are important, obviously, but next week after um, each service, our first one and this one, we're having a congregational um, meeting to vote for our elders and deacons for 2023-2024, and um, um, we certainly want to encourage everybody that's a member to stay and, and be a part of approving those for probably six weeks or more. We've had the biblical qualifications um, sent out so you can know from a biblical standpoint what the expectations are for our leaders, and so those have been out, and uh, they've been uh, uh, voted on through our uh, elders and deacons already and approved, and we just need the congregation to approve those folks um, at this point. So just a reminder, uh, we'll have a, a, a short congregational meeting after. If you have any questions about that process, and some people may be new and not understand it, you can certainly get in touch with me this week or uh, Mike Carbon, um, who's our chairman of our board right now, and also Dennis uh, Wilson, who's heading up our nominating committee. So if you need to talk to somebody about the process, we'll surely do that for you. But just wanted to remind you all um, about that. <clears throat> so we've been doing this sermon series and called Work is Worship, and I want to take some time to welcome everybody online. I don't always do that, but I do realize we have a lot of people that are watching at home, and we're thankful for you all, and we're so grateful that we can do this so that people can, can watch uh, when they're not necessarily here, but we welcome you as well. Um, but I've been doing this sermon series called Work is Worship. And, and for some people, um, that may be a new concept, is thinking about my work is worship. That may seem odd to some people, but other people might say, no, I, I have thought about that before, and I really do try in my work to think about that as an offering to God. It's a gift of God. It's an extension of who I am to God in the way that I work and how I work. Um, this week I was reading or, or actually watching a video by a lady named Nora Jones, and she suggests that we maybe change our perspective about work um, and about our career or our vocation and call it our assignment from God. Think about that for a minute. That's our assignment from God. What you're doing as a vocation and a work right now is your assignment for God. And it may be a rough situation right now, but still it's an assignment for God that God's got you there for a reason and a purpose, at least for this season in your life. And the Apostle Paul shares in his letter to the Ephesians in that first century, he says, in one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So that means God does have assignments for us, doesn't he? That he has prepared before we were even born with our giftedness, with our unique talents and, and, and personality, that God has assignments that he wants us to do in his kingdom while we're here on this earth. And Nora Jones went on in this, um, in this video talking about that Paul also mentions to the Corinthian Christians that uh, we are God's temple. God lives, and you know, God doesn't have a temple anymore like in the Old Testament. He has a temple, and that's us, and He lives in us. And if, if God does certainly live in us and we're His temple, then we must be intentional about stewarding ourselves and our talents in our assignment. And in doing this, we can open the door possibly for co-workers to meet God because of the way we act and treat our jobs. So, you know, you're a little bit different. Other people at this job seem to badmouth the boss all the time and do this and do that, but you're different. You take your job seriously. And that gives us an opportunity to share through our assignment why we do our job with excellence, why we do our job with integrity and have a good work ethic. And some people 
want to know about that. We notice when someone does a good job, right? Sometimes in our world right now, it's rare that we do get good service. And so when we get it, we're like, wow, that, you know, that was a great server. I really want to tip him or her a lot because that was great service or somebody actually provides a service that was really good. And you, you take notice of that and go, why does that person do that? Why do they have that kind of work ethic and take pride in their work? Why is that? And so sometimes by our example, others may want to know why we perform our assignment the way we do. And that gives us an opportunity to maybe share our faith in Christ. And I think people are inspired by those who work and accomplish much, especially when they're doing it for other people. It's not just for them, it's for other people. And people are inspired by that. Well, if you're like me, many of us may have grown up with the work ethic kind of being um, a value that was hammered home to you as you were growing up. It was for me things like this. When you work, you work hard. Do your work with excellence. Go the extra mile. Do whatever it takes to get the job done. You know, when you're, I remember in my first job, my parents were instilling this in me. A job worth doing is a, is, is a, um, is a job worth doing what? Right. It's like, yeah, well, exactly. Everybody's heard that before. We grew up hearing that. And those are all good values. But that kind of mentality sometimes can, can actually become a form of worship in itself, that we worship the way we do our work. We can become that. And then when we're doing that, and who or what is really being worshipped when that becomes the most important thing? Is it God we're worshipping, or is it my reputation, my pride in my work? Is it my reputation or my need for recognition, for validation and how hard I work? I need everybody to know that I work hard, and that's how I get validated in life. Is that really worshipping God with my work, or is it something else? Or maybe it's the bottom line. I'm really doing all this because I'm making money and that's the most important thing. So we need to constantly remind ourselves of the text that if you remember that we read last week and Paul's talking to another group of Christians in that first century in Coloss. And in Colossians he says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Or, or bosses. No, you're really working for the Lord. You, when you do your work, yeah, I know you have a boss, but he says you should always be doing it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, and that's how we should work. Now, there can be issues that arise from our pursuit of excellent work values in the workplace and even in our homes, and this is what I'm talking about. Now, I don't know if y'all are like me, but we, we all have certain ways we do things, and the way we do it is right, correct, right? I mean, I don't care. If you're folding up towels at the house, you know, doing laundry, you're supposed to put the corners together, and it's supposed to be nice and neatly folded so it goes into the, you know, into the pantry, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And then you go in there, and, you know, you lose your mind when you see your kids, you're not, you're not putting the corners together. It doesn't, it's all sloppy in there, and, and we just, we lose our mind. And, and we're laughing because we do this. You know, you're not cutting the yard right. You know, somebody was sharing me this morning about, about putting the lines on the correct direction. I was like, yeah, I can identify with that, you know. Now, never mind, I'll do it, you know. Loading the dishwasher, you know. How are our kids ever going to learn because, well, you're not doing it right. I go in there, and who loaded this dishwasher? It was all wrong, and I have to reload it because they didn't do it right. And we laugh about that, but what happens is, is in the process of doing that, some of that matters, but some of it really doesn't matter as much as we think, does it? The towels are in there. You can dry off with them. They might not be perfectly folded, but they're in there. And in the process, sometimes we hurt people's feelings. Sometimes people don't want to work with us. They don't want to cut the grass with us. They don't want to fold the towels with us because we're going to end up doing it the, our way anyway. And in the process, the relationship is kind of strained. Y'all know what I'm saying? 
and we can become. And I get it. I'm OCD about certain things. And it's funny. Some people that are OCD about folding towels, their uh, other parts of their life are a mess, right? So we, we all have our things. But that can be, we can become so focused with getting work done or performing the job just perfect and done in a timely manner that we can become obsessed with that. And the obsession can make us irritable and critical of others that aren't keeping up or they're not doing it right. And the pursuit of excellence in our work or even in our work itself can become what we worship. And in the process, we can hurt and devalue others in the process. So I want us to think about that for a minute. We've probably all been on either side of that before where we wanted something done just perfectly and in the process we realized, I went overboard and I hurt somebody's feelings. I hurt that relationship and now they don't even work. Do people at work want to work with you? Or do they go, oh, here comes Craig. I got to work with him today. Oh, great. This is going to be fun because it's never going to be good enough for him. You know, we don't want to be that kind of person. But I want us to look at a text today from Luke's Gospel that gives us an example of, of how this can happen with good motives, good intentions, but somehow the way we want things can, can supersede the relational part of it. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and it's a short passage. Um, and Luke is the only one that gives us this in the Gospels. Matthew and Mark and John don't mention the story, but Luke mentions this this story. You may have heard of it before, maybe not, but let's read it together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can you identify with this story? And if you can, who do you identify with? Is it Martha? Is it Mary? Is it Jesus? Or maybe the disciples? Now, in the Gospels, on several occasions, we read about Jesus being friends with Martha, Mary and their brother Lazarus, and whenever he went through Bethany, um, he stayed at their home, and he loved them, they loved him, and that was a really close relationship that they have. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but it is a safe assumption that Jesus' disciples were with him, and guess what? They were coming for dinner, too. So you didn't just have Jesus coming to dinner, you had his 12 disciples, too, and that can be a daunting task, right? So maybe you identify with Martha in this story, maybe Mary, maybe Jesus, or maybe the 12 disciples. Like, for instance, we have a, something called Supper Club here at Southwest. And I, I always enjoy that. I get to know y'all. And so when you go to Supper Club, you go to other people's houses, and they fix a meal. And then the next month, you you know, they come to your house, however that works. But um, I've always wondered, you know, if, if you were having Supper Club, and everybody's kind of getting to know each other in the living room, and whoever's in the kitchen working, what if they came out and go, hey, is anybody going to help me? Oh, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm sure somebody would jump up and go in there and help you out of guilt or shame, but it would just be an awkward moment. I think that's kind of what was happening here in this situation where everybody's talking and listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden, here comes Martha, kind of a party pooper, and they're like, you know, aren't you going to make her help me? Now, of course, if you're Martha, you want everything to be perfect because it is Jesus coming to your house. You know, you don't want to mess that up. You know, you want him to be happy. The house needs to be clean. It needs to be neat. It needs to be comfortable. The food must be amazing. The atmosphere must be inviting and comfortable so that people enjoy being there. 
And any of you who love to entertain in your homes know this desire. You're tracking with Martha. You understand. Some of you have a gift that's a biblical gift called hospitality. And I don't think we talk about it enough. But people that have the gift of hospitality have a huge impact on the church family. Because they make people feel welcome. They do those things. They invite people over. And all you have to do is sit down and you go, hey, can I do something? Oh, no, no. I got it. You just sit there. Y'all keep talking. And they're bringing the dishes and they're doing all that stuff. We love people like that. And the gift has potential to really impact people and make them feel special and loved. And we have a lot of those folks here in the church. Many people in this church have blessed me over the years because of their gift of hospitality. And it seems for certain that Martha had this gift. She was working hard, getting everything ready for dinner that night. And something happened, and she kind of snapped, didn't she? Now, I don't know what happened. Did she burn something? Was she making the casserole and it wasn't doing what casseroles are supposed to do? I don't really understand that because I'm not a cook. But something went wrong in the kitchen and it kind of got her, um, you know, upset. Did she, was she missing some ingredient that she didn't have and she couldn't get that day? I don't know. Again, but something happened and she was very frustrated. Whatever the case, she got irritated. She got angry and she gets distracted from her gift of hospitality, from the preparation of the hospitality that she loves to share. She loves bringing joy to people. And she stops and she comes out where Jesus and Mary and possibly the 12 disciples are all sitting and she shows her irritation, doesn't she? Ever been in a party where this scenario happens where somebody kind of says something and it just kind of, ooh, the life goes out of the party and everybody's just kind of awkward. So this week I was reading another article by... Uh, a lady named Michelle Christie, and she suggests that Martha's distraction leads to five other D words. And she said the first one is disbelief. So Martha asked, don't you care? I mean, that's her accusation to Jesus. Don't you care? She's disbelieving that Jesus doesn't care about her. This is how, where she is. And we had a minister here for many years named Jim Donovan, and he had this great saying, rarely is the issue the issue, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're like, why are they so mad? That doesn't make sense for them to be so mad about that, but they are. And so she's in disbelief. You don't care? And then there's this defensiveness. Martha defends her place. My sister has left me to do all of this by myself. She's very defensive about that. And then she's dismissive. Notice she doesn't come out and say, hey, Mary, could you come in here and help me out? I need some help quietly. No, she comes out and doesn't even say her name. She goes, my sister's not helping me, Jesus. You know, dismissive. And then she demands, she flat out says to Jesus, tell her to help me, Jesus. It's like, wow. And then in desperation, Martha attempts to control the situation. And Jesus, with her comment about being all alone in this, and no one cares about me, and no one sees what I'm going through. So Martha's being distracted led her to a place she did not really want to go. I'm sure that Martha probably, after she said that and sees the reaction of Jesus and everybody else, she regrets the way she spoke to Jesus, the way that she was speaking to everybody that day, and the way it made the other guests feel, the way she made her sister feel. We hear him lovingly acknowledge the state of her heart when this tender kind of repetition of Martha, Martha, like, hey, we all get it, you're upset and we're sorry, but... So Jesus invites her to consider a way of serving that's without distraction, that's without this self-righteousness, like I, I have to do all this and nobody cares. You know, you, your heart's not in the right place, Martha. In Martha's mind, she seems to have no choice but to serve alone with all these burdens on her alone. And Jesus reminds her, Martha, you do have a choice. 
You do have a choice. Just like Mary had a choice, you have a choice. And Martha can spend time doing the one needed and necessary thing from which all those other things flow. And he's trying to encourage her in that. And Jesus responds very, you know, uh, in a great way because I, I, can, I can imagine if it were one of us and the sister, if Mary would have had a chance to respond to that, she may not have said it very nice like Martha did. But Jesus helped take this situation to a better place. But Mary had made that choice, a better choice. Now, before we all pile on Martha, and it seems like it's easy to pile on Martha at this position, many of you are servers. Many of us here today are servers. We love to serve. We love to work to produce joy in other people, don't we? Some people, you can just see it. It's great when everybody's having joy, and I know behind the scenes, I did all this stuff so that everybody could have joy, like at Christmas or at Thanksgiving, when you know somebody did most of the work, but when they sit back and see everybody at the table laughing and eating, you go, this is awesome, and, and you see all the food just going plate after plate, and you're like, this is what I live for. I love to see people being happy, and I think that's how Martha was. But there are times when we all know that we can be, become overwhelmed with the task of trying to provide this super environment for everyone, and then something goes wrong. Sometimes we, buy, we bite off too much for us to handle. In the process, we steal not only our joy, but those who are a part of it. It's squelched because of our irritation, our demands. I thought about separate club again. And I thought about, you know, when we do supper club, if you're the first house that everybody goes to, you know, it's kind of like, well, what are they going to have? And, you know, they have a meal. And then whoever's next, they got to go. Like, if it's really, really a good meal with lots of stuff, you go, oh, man, we were just going to have pizza or something. But now they've kind of dropped the hammer on us. And then we've got we got to live up to this expectation, you know, when it comes to our house. But we don't really have to necessarily worry about that. At our place of work, do we want people seeing us as easily irritated whenever they bring something to us? Or that people go, oh, well, they, we don't work like they do, and they have all these expectations, and they dread working with us because of our attitudes or tendency to get irritated when things don't go perfect or go the way we think they should go. Hayden Robinson shared about this passage. Sometimes a job worth doing is worth doing not right, he says, but simply. Doing the job simply, making it simple, not so hard and extravagant. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be the best experience ever. Sometimes simple is better, or sometimes something else is better. And simple can be good. We don't have to have everything, but we just kind of narrow it down and really focus on those things, and it can be simpler and better. Well, you might ask, better than serving God and others? Doesn't Jesus talk about, doesn't he preach and teach about the importance of serving God and serving others. Isn't that important? Well, of course it is. Jesus lived that. But in this case, when Martha thought Jesus would come to her rescue about what she thought Jesus could come to her rescue about, Jesus does rescue her, doesn't he? But in another way. He rescues her worried thoughts and motives and reminds her of what is better. Now, you can't know my motives or my thoughts, and I can't know yours, but guess what? Jesus could. And he knew what was going on in Mary's heart and her mind. And he knew she was in a bad place. And he tries to get her to a much better place. And in this case, again, he rescues her and reminds her of what is better. And Mary, her sister, had chosen what is better. That which was and is better. Simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him and what he says and letting that wash over you. That's what she was doing. Being with and listening to Jesus. And we all need to do that, especially us OCD types. 
who can't sit still and we're always worried about the next thing and who's going to do it and I maybe need to be in charge so it'll be done right. And we worry about that. And we're laughing because some of us are like that. We are always thinking about we can't sit still. We can't just relax and be. And work is important. Work is very important. It is ordained by God from the very beginning of Scripture. We hear that God gave Adam and Eve something to do. gives us work to do. But God also from the very beginning has established two things. Rest and worship that we desperately need in our lives. And we need those things, don't we? Rest and worship. It's essential for our lives. And one of the policies we've tried to lay out for our staff and our volunteers here at Southwest, especially those who serve on Sundays, is that at least once a month you need to make a break from where you're serving and you need to come into worship and you need to be able just to worship and not worry about that area of service on that day. That's important. Because we can literally come to church for weeks, for months, or even years and realize, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in worship. Oh, they've been down there. They've been in the kids' department. Oh, they've been on the security team. Oh, they've been doing something with community. I can name a lot of different things. They're on the, the guest service team, whatever it is, but I don't see them in worship. Well, why is that? Because they're serving, but we need to take a break from that sometimes and worship and be at the feet of Jesus. And I think Jesus reminds us today that we can choose to do better like Mary did. And this text was recorded, as I mentioned earlier, only by Luke. And I, I obviously think about the story really stuck in his mind when he heard it. Now, Luke wasn't actually one of the 12 disciples, as you know, but he interviewed a lot of different people for the um, account of Jesus' life that he recorded. And this story, he's the only one that records it. Something about this story stuck out to him. It struck him as very important, or rather the Holy Spirit inspired him to record this because it really is important. And I'm glad he recorded it because you know what? I need to hear this. I need to hear this story. I need to be reminded. And I like to think that Martha learned from this experience that happened this day. The Apostle John records in his gospel account in chapter 12 that there's another gathering a little bit later in the future of this same family in this same house in Bethany. And this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And I want to read that, and I want you to try to pick out how maybe Martha is a little different in this story than she was in the one we read earlier. So in John 12, he writes this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth, it was worth a, a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Did anybody pick up on how Martha might be just a little bit different here? You see in verse 2 it said Martha served. Well that's that's what she's gifted to do. She's, she's cooking the dinner again and there's people at her house. If it's a, a dinner to honor Jesus it's a big thing again and she's serving but guess where, guess where um, 
her brother is. He's reclining. He's reclining. He's reclining watching the football game with the rest of the disciples, right? He's not helping in the kitchen. And where is Mary? She's not in the kitchen again. Where is Mary again? This thing with Jesus' feet. She's at his feet again, isn't she? And this time, even more worship. She's not just sitting at his feet listening. This time, she's anointing his feet with this special perfume and drying with the tears. She really, really has a relationship with Jesus. And Martha was not this time coming out and demanding somebody help her. I think Martha was experiencing the joy God gifted her to do in her hospitality at this one. She learned from that last experience. And I can just hear her humming to herself. She's all by herself in the kitchen doing all those things that need to be done. There's still just as many people, and it's still very important. But she's learned a valuable lesson. They're out there with Jesus, and that's what really matters. And yes, there is an irritated, angry party pooper, isn't there? Always has to be somebody, doesn't it? And John tells us in detail it's who it is. And it's, it's Judas Iscariot. And Martha, at this time, she, she pro, he protests about the perfume. And I like to think that Martha, as, he hears, as she hears him protest about the perfume, she smells it and she goes, what a wonderful smell. This just adds to the atmosphere. Everybody smells it. Everybody knows it smells great. And it makes the party even better. And she knew it was Mary, and she knew Mary wasn't helping, but this time it doesn't matter. Mary was doing what was best. Lazarus and all the others were doing what was best because they were with Jesus. And Martha had spent some time at Jesus' feet and learned something that had made her hospitality gift even more special. This time she was doing what was best, but this time she's serving with Jesus as the focus. And I have to believe that maybe Martha, as she's sitting there in the kitchen had to have smiled or maybe even laughed out loud as she heard Jesus defend Mary and remind Judas of what was best. She's probably glad it's not me this time that's getting scolded by Jesus. But hopefully today, as you and I think about our work, as we think about our job, as we think about maybe a better word is assignment that God has given us, we are encouraged not to let those assignments keep us from sitting at Jesus' feet and resting, and relaxing, and worshiping the one who not only gave us the gifts to do our assignments, but also is the one who longs to simply be with us. You see, Jesus didn't just die for us so he could say, okay, I'm going to die for you so I can forgive your sins, and then you ride off in the sunset, I don't ever have to deal with you again. No, Jesus died to forgive our sins because he wants to have relationship with us here and now, but he also wants to have relationship with us for what? Eternity. Eternity. That's what he, that's what he died, so he could be with us forever, that fellowship, so that we could sit at his feet forever. And I think in heaven, we don't, we're not going to have to worry about who's fixing the food and, and all those worries. There's, there's not going to be any of that anymore. We're all going to be okay just sitting at the feet of Jesus. So maybe today we need to think about that. And maybe there's um, that kind of sit at Jesus' feet relationship is something you need to work on. And it's hard for some of us. We have to be doing something at all times. But it's clear in Scripture, it's clear in the story that there's times where we need to stop and slow down and stop and be still and know that He's God. And that's what Mary did, and Martha learned from that, and I hope we can learn from that as well. And you can have that kind of sit-at-his-feet relationship, and Jesus invites us to open the door of our hearts and let him come in and sit with him. 
And maybe there's somebody here today that needs to do that. And that's, that's hard for some of us to open our hearts up, to allow Jesus to come into our lives and, and, and surrender those things that are hard to surrender like it was hard for Martha. But, but Jesus invites us to do that. Or maybe uh, you're looking for a church home. And you know what? Service is very, very important part of this church. It's in the DNA of our church to serve. We talk about it all the time. But not to the extent that it hurts relationships. But it's in conjunction with those relationships that we serve in a healthy way. And we try to do that. So if you have one of those decisions to make. To maybe name Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Or to join a church that together, we're certainly not perfect. But we're trying to be at the feet of Jesus in everything that we do. We offer that invitation.